0: Hello everyone, I am Lil and this is The More Civil Podcast. More Podcast, a podcast about cultural and cultural nomads designed for Blacks and Asians and those who love them. I'm your host, More Civil, Nigerian-born, U.S. educated, Korean-speaking, struggling intellectual. I have on the podcast with me a very important guest, and a, someone that was very important in the More Civil Podcast as a whole, and so, I will talk more about that later. But in getting us started with this episode, I'd like to introduce her. Uh, she's a freelance graphic and web designer based in Austin, Texas. That was actually where we met, and I hope is to keep creating work that can serve to communicate beautiful messages, inspire others, and change the world, and like I Uh, we have a commonality in that we both went to the University of Texas at Austin and there's a saying there that says what starts here changes the world. And um, in her free time, she loves to dabble in HTML and CSS. She also loves to go on food adventures, which by looking at her pictures, I have to talk about more about that because it doesn't look like that. (laughs) And she loves to learn new skills to add to her arsenal. Everyone join me in welcoming Teresa Wen. I'm going to call her Teresa from here on, but she has a middle name, which we're going to even explore more about. So what's up, Teresa?
1: Hi. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Being there.
0: laughs> Hi again, thank you so much for coming on today Really, really you know, nice to have you on board mm-hmm. so I'm so
1: happy to be talking with you oh, So great.
0: Thank you, thank you So now let's, let's get started Tell me a little bit more about yourself, especially with your middle name Because I know there's a story behind that
1: Yeah, sure So I graduated from the University of Texas at Austin But before that, I lived in Houston mm-hmm. And uh, my real name is Ni nee Nguyen I was put into a private school when I was younger And kids just kind of had trouble saying my name they would kind of just make fun calling me elbow or like kneecap and Ugh. children, I know. but <laughs> so um, I am Catholic as well, and I was baptized with the saint name Teresa. Mm-hmm. So I just decided from then point on in elementary to just go by Teresa to just make it easier for the kids around me to call me by that name, and it just kind of stuck with me throughout my whole elementary, middle, high school, and college career. Uh,
0: isn't it And I notice that a lot You know amongst us Like those of us That are not born here In the US Or even those that are Born in the US But that have like A different culture From what you would call The mainstream American culture mm-hmm. Is that we do so many things To try to make it easier I, I, Let me give an example Like with this name thing I have a lot of Chinese friends That are coming here mm-hmm. For whatever reason Sometimes it's usually For the passport issues They have to get an English name And in your case I mean you I'm sure you were born here right? Uh, yes I was I, I mean you You're American as can be But then you still had to Even go through that lens Of having to switch your name around To move it from from me to Teresa so people can be comfortable saying it I mean if I can say Arnold Schwarzenegger or um all this kind of non-american whatever that means names I mean why is it so difficult for Americans to at least when I say Americans like those that are not very patient like Mm -hmm. you have a lot of Americans that are not very culturally patient to learn how to spell people's names and then why why should the burden be on us to like find Mm -hmm. ways to adapt our names so they can make it easier for them to understand I don't know I find that really interesting I definitely
1: agree and it's just like When I was younger, that never occurred to me. I think I fit in when you were little, you know. And since I went to a private school, a majority of the kids were white, Mm. and so I was one of the very, very few Asians that were in that school to begin with. And I guess I just wanted to fit in. And then when I was younger, I never saw it that way. But the old got the more I was just more I was more accepting of my name now
0: I want to say that it's probably like a like a wonderful thing for you to be mean like you know yeah
1: no I love it it's just now it's gone on for so long it's kind of a habit to me
0: yeah, yeah yeah I see what you mean mm-hmm. Well, thanks for sharing that. So you you have a Vietnamese um, background. Like, are yes. you, both your parents are they from Vietnam?
1: Yes, both our parents are from Vietnam, and they both immigrated from Vietnam to the U.S. And my father particularly has a very interesting story on, you know, how he came to the U.S. and how he started his life and how he got to where he is right now. Do you want to tell so, us um, Of course. So for my father, he was around 18 years old when he tried to escape from Vietnam during the communist regime mm-hmm. after the Vietnam War. Um Both his parents were very anti-communist, like, communists, and so they didn't want that life for him. So he kind of just got on the boat at 18 and just was on the boat for 7 to 10 days to take that trip to America. And whenever he got here, um, he kind of just went to California. He had to start over. He worked as a janitor, and he got his green card, and after five years, he applied for citizenship.
0: Wow.
1: Yeah, and then he also sponsored seven of my cousins after being um, in the United States as well. Seven? Yeah, so he's taking wow. care Wow. He was around 18 or 19. He took care of seven kids. No way. <laughs> He worked full-time, went to school full-time. Um, he taught himself English. Um, yeah, but he started off as a janitor, and then he started learning more, um, doing electronic assembly for 10 years, and then going on to be an electrician, and then electrical engineer after that. Oh, wow. And that, he, that's yeah. No, he's a very interesting guy. He started from the very, very bottom. And uh, for my mom, she... My uncle's already a U.S. citizen, so he mm-hmm. sponsored my grandpa, and then he took my mom over as well. Okay. And then so my parents met uh, while they were working together at a job Aww. of uh, <laughs> being an uh, electronic technician. Yeah. And then that's how they came to be. But they both um, started from the bottom, and they wow. both... Yeah, and so my dad especially worked very, very hard to get to where he was right now, which probably heavily influences on how um, the expectations he has for his kids. But as
0: a whole, like, looking at that legacy your parents have set before you, how they, you know, worked, you know, using their elbow to like, get where they are, how would you say that has really affected you generally and how your outlook of life? It-
1: Whenever I was younger, I was very, very naive. My dad bought a laundromat in Texas, and so I had two younger brothers as well, so we lived in our laundry mat. Like, my brothers and I shared a room, my parents shared a really small room, and we'd wake up and we'd work and help out our parents, and they would still send us off to private school because they wanted the best for their kids. And I just yeah. took that all for granted when I was younger. Yeah. I just thought kind of like, oh, this is normal or this is not a big deal. But the older I got, uh, my parents started explaining to me more about, you know, where they came from mm-hmm. and, like, what they went through. And I definitely admire their work ethic. They're yeah. such Hard workers, but they never really let their children see that.
0: You know what? What you just said now just it really reminds me of my own background. As Mm -hmm. I went home recently for the first time in seven years, and it was really the first time I sat down with my parents and we talked about just you know how things were like. Because growing up, we didn't have like ideal housing conditions. Mm -hmm. We didn't live in like in in affluent neighborhoods. But my Mm -hmm. parents took all they had, they put it into my education and my brother's education. I have two brothers as well, and they sent us to private schools where I had kids that would you know travel abroad every summer, and I couldn't even get past you know my state. I couldn't even leave the country because we, we couldn't afford that. And mm-hmm. so, that in a way, I started about harboring some form of complex growing mm-hmm. up because there was so much affluence that I saw around me in school that wasn't mm-hmm. mirroring my housing situation and where I grew up. And it wasn't until I grew up that I, I started realizing that, you know what, these guys actually sacrificed a lot. Mm-hmm. You know, for us. But you don't get to see that, like you said, as a kid. You get very impatient. You want, you demand for things you necessarily don't need, but because your your school friends have them, you want to have them, you want to have the latest shoes, you want to get that BMX bicycle, whatever was, you know, raining then. But now that I grew older, I was like wow that was a huge sacrifice because they could have used that money to like you know buy better houses but no education was priority and I think that's one thing African parents and Asian parents have in common is that you know um, that campaign for education is ready for their kids to do better than they did
1: Mm mm-hmm Yeah, for sure. I definitely, I just never saw, you know, whatever the kids wanted, my parents would try to accommodate as best as they could to make their kids happy. And, you know, we were definitely very spoiled for how little we did have. And I definitely appreciate that more as I get older and like working for myself. And I definitely see all the struggles that parents go through and I appreciate it so much, even though I definitely took it for granted when I was younger.
0: Well, that's good. I mean, it's good that we've all come to that point of, well, I wouldn't say all, but both of us have come to that point of consciousness to really see that our parents just give us the best they could when they could. So, anyway, it's good. Now, talking about the Asian stereotype, I and mean, we've kind of started talking about that—is You know, there's a huge expectation for the kids. And you did mention that about, you know, for what your parents have done for you, there's an expectation they have for you. Now, yeah. maybe people that don't really get it might just see, see, see it like, um, oh, your parents are just forcing you to do something. But I think for the most part it's work, you know, Mm-hmm. Um, but there are also Some arguments You can make For times that It doesn't work But for you What would you say were some of the Expectations your Parents had for you
1: um, It was just because Since our parents Were not from the US They don't really Know all the job Opportunity Like all the jobs That are in the US That are available You know They mm-hmm. they just know Doctors And, and engineers Yeah engineers Like, yeah, <laughs> the engineers, like the jobs that make money That's all They kind of just knew
0: Yeah
1: Coming into the United yeah. States yeah. As well So that's kind of They never really Forced me to do anything Per se But it's just like That's I, that's all i would hear you know that's like oh you know you know what your cousin's a doctor like this person is making so much money like look at this person being a lawyer and so like i just grew up thinking okay it has to be some kind of doctor because that's all i ever knew and that's all i ever grew up thinking i could be yeah, yeah. and so that was kind of like double expectations that my parents had and so during school i just kind of had that in my head like okay i'm gonna go and be an optometrist i'm gonna go this is my game plan this is what i'm gonna do and i was pretty sheltered as well so i just there i Mm, they didn't really control everything that I did, but, def- but I was definitely exposed to only certain things. And so I think with that in mind, I just never saw anything else that I wanted to do. Pretty much, you know, I had to get straight A's in school. I had to. And being the oldest of my Yeah, You set that example. Yeah. Yeah, kind of like that child child, you know, you kind of have to be perfect. You kind of have to, you know, be a really good example, as you said. Or being female
0: too. Be for the other back Yeah. Of- and of I'm a- rough. yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah
0: <laughs> being female and being the first child you just thrust into the comes of responsibility and I, I know along the line of that sometimes we put a lot of pressure on ourselves and you know being a female is one of the things we really, really really do best let me ask you this question do you have fear of failing sometimes and if yes what what's that like for you
1: um i definitely do i felt like um so whenever i got into university of texas at austin i was super excited um, I started off as a bio major my first year. I took chem calc bio and some other um, elective courses. I took seventeen hours. I was way in over my head. Um, I thought this was what I wanted to do and I started going to classes and there were all these other kids that are so much more passionate about mm-hmm. what they do than I was. I was kind of just going with the flow and you know just kind of just being there and then I realized that you know I can't do this. I'm not that interested in these subjects like I can do well, but I don't like it. I was yeah. studying, but I wasn't enjoying something. And I felt like, oh, this wasn't for me. And when I was younger, I've always been really interested in Photoshop and designing. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it kind of just started off as, you know, Photoshopping me with, like, my favorite boy band. Back Who was
0: that? Was it in <laughs> sequel, but, or Backstreet Boys?
1: Yeah, Backstreet Boys. Oh, for sure. And, like, maybe, like, a little bit of Aaron Carter.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: <laughs> but I would just pretty much just kind of, like, Photoshop things and, like, edit pictures. And I just liked doing that, but that was always seen as, a uh, It was a hobby for me. I never saw it as a career path at all. It was just something that I enjoyed to do. And so I started taking um, some advertising classes at UT. And then I realized that, wow, I actually like doing this. And I started participating in some orgs and making T-shirts and flyers. And then people were telling me, like, wow, you're really good. Like, you should really, you know, look into this. And so I looked into it. I took some classes. I found that I really enjoyed doing this. But then my parents really wanted me to still pursue this. Um, medical career path and I was very scared of telling them that I switched my major because I feel like I would have failed them like I, I, I think like I, I was scared that they would see as I didn't try and I tried to take the easy way out and so <laughs> I didn't tell my parents and change my major until two years after I did no
0: way was it was at the graduation and it was like why, why are we going into liberal arts mommy I'm no longer in science <laughs> yeah how, how, did, you, how it was, did you break the news to them was it slowly like mom and dad we
1: need to. No, well, it, it was very dramatic and bad. <laughs> because, um, you know, I switched my my major from biology to advertising, and my parents didn't know what advertising was either. Like, in their mind, advertising was someone going door to oh door selling them things. <laughs> you know? I had no idea what it was. I didn't know it would make money. Yes, that makes sense. Yes, yeah, so I was terrified. And it was, I think, I decided to go back home to Houston. Yeah. And around that time, it was. Sh- it should be around the time I would be taking my OAT uh, to apply to a tomography school, and I uh. felt like, you know, it's gone on for way too long. I can't like not tell them anymore. <laughs> and I s- decided to tell them, like, oh hey, like I switched my major, and they were so upset. Um, I think they were. They were definitely more upset about me hiding it from them for so long before uh, telling them more than can, me switching my major. But I think probably, I told them, you know, I was just scared that. They would be angry And yeah. that they wouldn't improve And that they would feel like I failed them And that You know I wasn't doing well oh, I'm sorry? Sense. I said It's
0: it's like They probably felt bad Like you couldn't open up To them earlier on They were more concerned About that Than you actually Switching your major Like you couldn't have That yeah. conversation with them
1: For sure But it's just kind of I think it's just kind of That, that the, expect, the amount of expectations You know They had for me I, I think it I just didn't want to fail them And the only way for me To not fail them Was to not tell them Yeah So I think that's one of the main reasons why I kept them, kept it from them for so long, just because, you know, I I personally didn't even know, if you know what was going to happen either, because I never thought about this this road, this path that I was going to take. So yeah. I was kind of unsure about my future as well, and so that would only make them even more worried. And I think we're a lot better after that happened. We're a lot better at at it now, okay. like talking to each other, because I don't know. With Asian parents You're not Whenever I was younger We never really talked
0: uh, My parents like, you, know, you didn't have that. Con- Those conversations You just You listened to I, them And they were always Right about stuff You, you didn't have a place mm-hmm. To like argue, Not argue Or, or set yourself And Like the mm-hmm. way you see American kids do With their parents You're like You try to In an
1: yes. African household You'll
0: be buried alive
1: <laughs> Yeah For sure You know And that's how I felt When I was younger And you know I'll, But the older you get it, The easier it is To talk to your time, parents
0: Yeah Because you're older now. Yeah. you're like yeah, I'm not scared of you anymore I ain't scared of no ghosts <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, like um, right. I think after that happened, our relationship definitely got a lot better because um, now we are more open with each other. So I didn't realize how hurt my parents would be. You know that I kept it from them, and I should have known. But in that time, in that moment, all I thought about was disappointing them, and uh, I didn't think to to see how they would feel. If they didn't know that I changed my nature either, yeah, yeah. and so the only thing assumed me was like failing them, disappointing them, and making them mad at me. And after we talked it out, you know, it, it's become a lot better. My parents are a lot more open with me and I to them. I'm just glad that it happened and that it was something that brought us close together as like parent and child. Very good.
0: Uh, so you, you started with, you know, biology, hoping to go to ophthalmology school and then you are on that way. You started attending some classes in advertising and then you found out you loved it. So you're probably one of those people that they're working in where they really love. And you know how they say if you love what you do, you don't have to work a day in your life. So that's good. <laughs> It's good that's you figured good. that out. So what would you say influenced your your love for advertising? Were there some things you, you were exposed to? Were there some artists you liked? Like, what about advertising? And was it because you went to UT Austin where they have like one of the best advertising colleges what? in the, in the, in the States?
1: That's definitely one of it. Um, I've always, as I mentioned before, I've always loved doing Photoshop and designing things. Um, and then when I went to UT, I got to make t-shirts and flyers. And I got to make some flyers for charity events and t-shirts for breast cancer awareness. And I realized that. I can actually, it sounds like a stretch, but you change the world through design. And I feel like um, design is a key factor in anything that you do, you know, whether it be websites or, you know, events. I feel like depending on how the design goes and how it's executed, it can definitely set a tone for what kind of event that is. And so I just want to kind of just put my work out there and try to get people to see that design is important design matters. And it can definitely change a person, whether it be a person's brand or a company's brand. Or it could help change, you know, a nonprofit to yep. get them more, to make them seem more, I guess, like legit and get them more funding, and I- wanted to pursue more things um of that nature just because i feel like i didn't realize how important design was you know like i was like doctors save lives and, yeah you know <laughs> you're saving lives all these too things. yeah but you know i can save lives too <sighs> you know you I know think. what i just thought about now you know
0: what I, you wanted to go to school um ophthalmologist school to like help people see you're still doing that but in a different setting
1: that is wow that is very true yeah
0: <laughs> it's all about the your eyes you're still in the field if it's a, someone ask what you do All i work with eyes oh you're an ophthalmologist kind of but for advertising that should
1: be the okay. next thing. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's just, um, and like one thing that really, that definitely I remembered was, I don't remember, like the, what was it Miss Universe pageant or something? Like uh-huh. Steve Harvey decided oh. to read the contestant's name wrong. <laughs> and like the reason it for country was a country.
0: It was a country. Miss exactly. Venezuela or Miss yeah, yeah, it was a country. Yeah. yeah, and the reason why that happened
1: was just because the design, the oh, yes, layout that Somebody messed up. It. Exactly, it was not like laid out correctly. It was, wasn't, like, it wasn't clear who won, yeah. like, on that card, and yeah. so that's been I feel like, yes, design is very important, like, you could make a huge mistake like that on live TV. Yeah. And so, yes. yeah, I definitely feel like um, design is very important, and I want people to see that design is just as important as, you know, any other occupation, and I know that, uh, I don't want like, I know people who don't frown on, like, not advertising majors, but it's like, if you talk about colleges, you know, communications or liberal arts, they're kind of just like, oh, those are easy colleges, those are... Yeah. You know, compared to natural sciences or, you know, business, people would just kind of say, oh, those are like easy majors. You have an easy major. You got an easy. And yeah. so, no, I say that.
0: Oh, no, no. What you guys do is equally as important as what, you know, every other every person does. Because we all cannot be one thing. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. Uh, so, I just wanted yeah. to kind of just say that, yeah, like, what I do might not be as hard as, I guess, like, calculus or organic chemistry but it's definitely different and you know if you were in my field you would struggle just as much as anyone else would if they're not in their like relative fields and so i, I just want to show that it is important whether whatever occupation you choose you are important in whatever you want to do in that right. field for me my position is still entry level so i'm not making as much as i would like yeah Time. I'm, yeah, but I'm not going to give up on that. You know, I still pick up a job yeah. a job or two over here just to kind of support myself. But yeah. I do love to do and I don't mind the extra work just keep pursuing it and so I realized oh, yeah I really love this I really want to keep doing what I love and so I wouldn't mind I have to work harder and I I don't know I just I love it and I just want to keep pursuing it to my best extent
0: yeah well I was the very very best on that line, I also wanted to talk about how I met Teresa so while I was in was it probably maybe four years ago three years ago three yeah. about? um Hi. we have this Facebook group for people that at, at university where we both went to where you can like you know buy and sell stuff and i put up a post about needing someone to help design a logo for a podcast so um news a little bit of a segue here i started with a podcast idea with three other people that was about three years ago but it kind of fell apart so teresa responded to that ad and she's like hey you can help you design your podcast logo and i remember just emailing you we never we've never met before in person by the way yeah, it's just <laughs> <And she's laughs> through emails and she's like this and that and i just like how you ran with that idea and you know you were very curious you wanted to know more about what the podcast was about and what you could infuse in the logo and when you did send the logo it was you know it was what we wanted so I want to just thank you for that and oh, along that line like how do you say you what, what would you say really helps you connect with people and to help them you know birth that idea that is sitting inside of them but that, that they did never knew like what would you say really helps you do what you do very well
1: I think for me it was very important like people like to talk about their business and like you know oh we want this logo to look cute or this good or you know and I think it's more important to talk about the person behind it and what kind, like what your company or whatever you want to make that brand for, what they stand for and what their core values are. And I feel like that should definitely reflect on the logo. And I feel like a lot more work goes into logo and branding than you would think. You know, colors matter and like the way you want to present yourself, the fonts matter and what you want to do and how you want to convey like that feeling towards someone looking at your logo and your brand. And I feel like for me, I think it's very important to just have a list of questions and ask, you know, like what do you want your brand to be? Like mm-hmm. what kind of person are you? What kind of brand is this? And I think things like that are very important That's
0: It's really really good. Thanks for answering that. Um so in addition to logos, can you talk a little bit more about what you can help people do? And after you're done with you know talking about your expertise and skills, where people can reach you in case they want to hire you. And I highly recommend Teresa by the way. She is the brand <laughs> behind the most if you go to WWS Cible.com. Like I said, we've never met in person, we still haven't met in person. All our conversations <laughs> have been through emails and Facebook chats, I mean 99% on, on Facebook chat. And I tell her what mm. I want. We don't even talk to on the phone. It's like the first time I'm actually hearing your voice and the first time <laughs> hearing my voice. Exactly. And so she designed the website, put all of them together and the layout, the tabs, the pictures. Everything on the mm-hmm. website. That's all through Teresa right there. So she comes highly recommended. And just tell her oh, you're yeah, yeah. from the Multiple Podcast. Probably can get a discount from her. Anyway, Teresa, tell us more about what you can do and how people can get to you.
1: Sure. Um. So I just graduated from the University of Texas and with a major in advertising. But a lot of design that I do, I am all self-taught. I... Didn't really take a lot of courses that you that would teach me that. I taught everything myself, so I'm still kind of fairly new at it. My rates are very cheap for now, so if you want something, come in and get more experience. But I, I mainly do logos, so if you're thinking of branding yourself or thinking about starting your own business, um, I can definitely help out with logos. I am recently getting into web design, and I am I really love web designing. So if you're thinking about you know, how you want your website to be laid out, I can definitely help with the web design aspect of it. Um, I can also make, you know, business cards or stickers or anything like that as well. Um, I'm very versatile, and anything that I don't know how to do, I can learn very quick to do it. So I feel like definitely if you are a new business um, or you want to bring in a new clientele and like kind of just rebrand and switch it up a bit, I can definitely help out with that. And I definitely can curate um, a logo or like a brand colors or anything that can help suit whatever you want your business to stand for. Wow. So you can definitely reach me out at my at my website, uh dot com. That's N H I B N G U Y E N dot com. And then uh on my website there should be um my email address and anything else you would need to contact me on there as well.
0: Well there you go. She's quite the um talented lady.
1: Like, one-stop for yeah, exactly. all of your needs. <laughs> yeah, I know, mention this podcast, but I'll definitely give you a discount, for sure. There you go. Thank you so much, Teresa.
0: Um Well, <laughs> I'm curious to know more about, you know, Vietnam, especially given that that's your heritage, even though you're also American, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm also suspecting that since you're a first-generation American, you had a lot of culture that was infused into you by your parents. What is it like for you being Vietnamese and American, and what does that mean to you?
1: Um, So, I... Have only been to Vietnam once when I was two years old, so I don't remember it very clearly at all. But from what the stories that my parents are telling me, you know, they it was just my dad was just a hard worker, you know, he helped help my out my my grandpa with farms, and it was a very rural country or rural area where my dad lived. And um, after the Vietnam War, yeah. uh, everything became a communist country. And so I think that my dad was very, my, parents, my grandparents, my dad was just like, this is not like this is what we want to do. We don't want to be a part of this. And so they kind of left that uh, country because of that. But they definitely instill a lot of the values and the culture that my parents have into their kids. And so my parents are actually very, they're very, very religious as well. They're both Catholics, and so we definitely that definitely influences a lot of of how we raise us as well. Um, We went to private school, we went to church every week, uh, the family, we would pray every night in Vietnamese. (laughs) So I know like all these Vietnamese prayers. Yeah. Um, And I think it's, um, I think religion is one of the very core values of our family, and I think it's one of the reasons why our family is so close as well. Mm -hmm. Um, And I'm kind of torn, especially since. You know, in Vietnam or in Asian cultures in general, your girls are supposed to be very modest and very, you know, proper, and you're not supposed to, you know, dye your hair crazy colors or get tattoos or do any of those things. Yeah. But being in America, it's like the total opposite, you know. There are people, yeah, you know, people just change their hair all the time or get their ears pierced or something. And... It's just a way for them to express themselves, and for me, I def- whenever I was younger, I definitely struggled with that because since I did go to a predominantly white, white school, yeah, yeah, like that's all I ever knew, and I wanted to fit in, and I wanted to, you know, I don't know, I would always complain, you know, like I don't know why, you know, you wouldn't let me do this when like you know so and so does it, and you know, my parents, or oh, sleepovers is a good is a good example.
0: You, you couldn't have that, in African. Whenever I was younger.
1: I was, <laughs> yeah, I would never be able to have a sleepover. That's just not, I don't know, I, I'm not speaking for, like, all Asians, but for me personally, like, yeah. that was not something that I was able to when I was younger. And, you know, my parents are like, you have your own house, why would you go sleep at someone else's house? That doesn't make any sense. You know, like, we, you can't do that. And so we never, I never had sleepovers when I was younger. People can sleep over at my place, though. Like, that's fine. It's just I wouldn't be able to go sleep over at other people's places. Um. But it's just, you know, I guess, like, Asian culture, you're supposed to be more reserved and more, you know, independent and just like within your community, like within your family and your your race, kind mm-hmm. of thing. I definitely struggled with that. Um, and now uh, I do have a couple of tattoos, and my mom has come to terms with them that I have them. But when I first got them, she was very, very turned off about it. Aww. She was kept saying, you know, oh, you know, we're we're Vietnamese. This is the Asian culture. Like you're not supposed to have tattoos. Like Asians don't have tattoos. And so I definitely really struggle with that because as Americans, like, I feel like they're so carefree about all that, you know, you
0: can, care, you can
1: just do this and, you know, I would see, you know, on TV shows, you know, like children talking back to their parents or, you know, all this oh, stuff. No.
0: You get slapped <laughs> in my home. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They'll fix, and, they'll and, fix that mouth for you.
1: <laughs> yeah, and also discipline was one of, one of the things that did not happen in the majority of white homes as well. No. No. You know, like I, I my parents, Definitely, I would not call it abuse at all. Like, I think discipline and abuse are different things. hmm And my parents, like, they definitely disciplined me. You know, if I did something wrong, like, they disciplined me. And I think that's something that a lot of my friends at the time couldn't understand either, you know, because that's just part of the culture. That's just how we were raised and how it's – just, it's just how everything was back when yeah. I was younger.
0: Yeah.
1: And I feel like um, that is part of the Asian culture. It's, like, to be disciplined, to be polite, and to never talk back to your parents and – um kind of just keep up that really um perfect facade yeah. of your family and of your life and so don't yeah don't bring shame so, to
0: the family don't bring shame to yeah, the family
1: so, i mean like as stereotypical as like all oh, that is i mean you know, some of it is true you know like honor is very important yeah but i
0: think we can also say that about i mean there's so many similarities we have because you're talking about your parents it almost as if i'm like come on, do we have the same parents because <laughs> that's, that's so prevalent in you know, my family And I want to say it largely to you know, Many African cultures as well But I guess at the end of the day It's that structure we have Like the family, the home And that deference we give our parents You know, There's so much respect we have for our parents And I know for most Asian countries It's from that Confucian system Where you know you always have to honor your parents You always have to yeah. honor your parents And you have such a huge thing in your life So I think it kind of worked out for you know many of us But along that line I think one of the things I feel like you know, in addition to disciplining kids, I think where most parents don't get it right is when they don't also play with the kids, you know. Like, playtime mm-hmm. is very important. I think that's one thing we can actually learn from, you know, Americans as a whole is even though they play a lot of times too much, they don't really discipline. We discipline kids a lot, and we forget to mm-hmm. play with them. And when we don't have that balance, on either side there can be, you know, um, disadvantages okay. as well. So. That's
1: good. I always like I can remember, it, like, um I guess kind of just like a segue into... Dose, gentrification uh, as yeah. well for starting offices. Um, whenever I was younger, uh, my parents would always try to pack me like Asian food because that's all they would have. And just so food, remember, right? Yeah, food. And it was just um, they. My mom. I remember this so vividly. My mom would pack me like um, we had this thing called a ben bao, which is pretty much like a Vietnamese steamed bun. And I remember bringing it to wow. to wow. lunch, and I would just eat it. And it's pretty much just like a steamed. Dumplings. On the inside, it's just pork. And, it's dumplings. Yeah, it's like pork. Like it's for no, Exactly. Yeah. But whenever I was cutting it open, like, oh my god, like, what is that? Are you eating a brain? And like, kind of just being all grossed out about it. And, and now I
0: don't want to eat it to be hip.
1: <laughs> yeah. And like, I, there were so many Asian foods, you know, that I would bring, and then they'd be like, oh, it's too smelly, or like, oh, what are you eating? Like, why are you eating that? Like, what is that? You know. And um, I remember being so embarrassed about it. And I remember this one time, all I would just. I just remembered it so clearly, you know, I felt so ashamed. I was like, oh, I don't even want to finish this. I don't even want to eat this just because everyone's staring at me and, like, looking at me, and so. But now, like, you see people charging, like, $15 for one of them or something, you know, and they're definitely just taking something that they, a culture they made fun of and just turning it into something cool just because it became mainstream, you know, just because it's, like, this new Asian fusion thing. But I just remember, you know, it wasn't how it was back then, you know. Back then, if you were different, you were made fun of in high school. And yeah. it was—I mean, it's great, I guess, to see that it's a lot more accepting nowadays to, to for Asian cuisine. I you know, that's great, but it's just like it's insane, you know. It's it's upcharged and it's like turned into some weird like hipster thing. I'm sorry, and, I, I didn't know love these things. It, I
0: really enjoy eating them, <laughs> but you would know better than I than I will.
1: Uh, no. <laughs> no I'm mean, like it's fine like I know people I don't it's not like the people eating it it's just like the people like making it making and it's just, them, yeah. It's fine. yeah and I remember you know it's fine if if you want to honor the culture and you want to you know do what you want to do but it's, it's another thing to kind of like take it and kind of just into something else completely and then call it authentic I think that's <laughs> the one thing that kind of just you know if you're eating like kimchi with french fries like that's not authentic Korean cuisine and um, yeah and then you know it's just I mean, it's great that it's being recognized as more normal, like Asian foods are, but, you know, back then, it definitely yeah. was not like that. You know, if you were eating kimchi at school, it would smell bad, like vinegar, or, like, people would just make fun of you for it. Yeah. Yeah, and also, I remember during in kindergarten, we were having, like, a picture day going on, Yeah. and I told my mom about it, and I think, I was like, oh, yeah, I told my mom, I, was, I remember telling her, I was like, oh, I want to dress up for picture day, and she made me wear like, this, um, it's called an aoyai, which is, like, a traditional Vietnamese, um, dress thing, and um, was like, oh, yeah, just wear it, you look cute, and, like, blah, blah, blah. and everyone going to school, and everyone's just, like, in jeans and a t-shirt, and they're all, like, staring at me, and, like, oh, no. <laughs> asking me why and, like, sometimes I'm not kids are kind of mean, they don't have a filter they kind yeah. of just say whatever yeah. they want to say and yeah. it's so, self. So... I mean, I think, honestly, I think ever since then, I was always kind of, like, scared of wearing well, what yeah, because, yeah, you know I just remember everyone staring at me, and everyone's like, what are you wearing, like, what is that, like you know, why are you wearing pants under her dress, or something, like, I don't know, it was, it was all over the place, but then now you see, you know, oh, it's
0: so hip now, Tony- oh, yeah, celebrities wearing them, and it's like, the hip thing and everybody wants to get one, yeah,
1: yeah, and I was just like, oh, this is just so insane, you know, like, uh, yeah, I don't know, it's just, it's great that Asian culture is being embraced, yeah, uh, in whatever form, but, think it would be nice to, like, learn more about the culture behind it as well, and, like, to see why it is the way it is and why things are the way they are.
0: And I'm sure you're wondering why did that happen when I was growing up? When I was still in high school or you know, grade school?
1: Ah, I mean, cool. cool, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> I eat cool, authentic Asian food. Yeah, like, I remember I was being embarrassed, like I was super embarrassed about my culture. Now, I am, now I'm very appreciative and I definitely embrace my culture now that I'm older and seeing like it. It definitely, you know, makes it shows my individuality. You know, it makes me special as a person, you know, having this culture behind me. But, you know, back then, I definitely tried to hide it. Like, by yeah. then I tried to be, you know, American as possible. Like, I didn't, I did not want to be Asian at all. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to be American because, you know, at that time when you were younger, like, being American was what you are supposed to be because you are in America. And yeah. so, I think, you know, when I was younger, I definitely tried to stray away from my culture. And, you know, because it wasn't, like, people weren't really accepting, I don't think, back then when you were younger, you know, about culture and everything. But now, I mean... I guess it's great that everything's more progressive. I don't know that people are talking more about culture and cultural appropriation. I think it's great to have that awareness. So it definitely makes me more proud of my culture and like where I come from and like how hard my parents work. And I definitely do appreciate that culture. That's
0: good. Very good. And along that line of cultural um, exploration, I have this you know, thing I do now with my guests. I call it cultural curiosity, where mm-hmm. you know, you've told me so much about Vietnam and, you know, how that has influenced you as a person, about the mm-hmm. food, you know, just things that are very peculiar to you, being Vietnamese mm-hmm. as well as American. Now, you know I'm Nigerian, right? Yes. Is <laughs> <there> any- <laughs> oh, I don't know. i gave that away. Is there anything? <laughs> do you have anything you're curious about to you know about my country? It could be any question, and don't worry. Nothing is off limits.
1: Well, I know you just visited recently, mm-hmm. so to see like how that trip was for you and there's any that you learned yourself Whoa. while you were over there.
0: That's a good question. Thank you for asking that. It was
1: it was really nice.
0: Um, it was my first time in seven years. I got to see people again that I hadn't seen in a while. And I think when you're away from home or well, whatever home might mean to you, you mm-hmm. tend to adopt this romantic attitude towards it because you're so far away. It's almost like mm-hmm. that boyfriend that got away and you never remember all of the bad parts. <laughs> you're just fantasizing away. And then reality sets in in the form of culture shock or in my case, reverse culture shock. When you, you know visit home, and it's like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> this wasn't <laughs> this wasn't it at all. I mean there were some moments. There were some moments like that. But one thing that was a complete match for me, that wasn't a mismatch, was the people. You know, the people were still as good. They were still as yeah. warm, as as friendly. And then even though I really didn't get to explore the food and one thing that really stood out for me was the fruits. Like Teresa Yeah When you live in the US For so long Your taste buds Get altered Like the first time I was there (laughs) I remember Really questioning Like the bananas Because they were They they, they tasted altered In a way They didn't taste Really fresh Almost like they had To be sped up To be ripened They didn't go Through the natural Process of aging And even the chicken And the eggs Tasted funny The milk tasted funny So when I went back Mm -hmm. home And of course I stayed here for 7 years So all of that It became a non-issue When I went back home I remember biting Into a banana And I was like My goodness This is what banana should taste like I also Uh had the same experience with the oranges and then pineapples and it tasted really good it wasn't like the 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 saccharine sugar pineapple we're eating here in the u.s like seriously those are not real fruits i don't know what's happening in the labs <laughs> where they're growing them but just like, biting into biting into a chunk of pineapple was like oh my and i you know it was pouring all over me and you know the juices were dripping all over my face i really didn't mind the mess because i was i wasn't i was in a zone like i was just love mm-hmm. I was going to check into a hotel room. Do not disturb sign. It was going to be me and that pineapple. <laughs> <laughs> I think I missed that part of it that I didn't even know existed. And it was very overwhelming too because, you know, people I hadn't seen in a while and we still have some, a lot of, you know, infrastructure issues back home, you know, with corruption, bad roads, just things that are really so working. And I'm hoping, you know, we get to start working on our problems so we can be more, you know, developed. We've been developing for too long. At this stage, we need to like turn our status from a developing nation to a developed country, but all in all, um, I, I love going back home I, I I look forward to the opportunity again and I also look forward to you know using this platform to you know talk talk my, about my country because the people mm-hmm. the people as just I mean that's so that wonderful people despite you know mm-hmm. what the country as a whole um the challenges we have currently yeah so that that's was fun. that <laughs>
1: thank you craving for fruit
0: <laughs> oh you need to you need to I don't know how we're going to make that happen but if you're ever yep. ever ever if you're ever curious about going to Nigeria let me know even if I know not to take you there I definitely have people that can you know take you around and you need to try the food there amazing and there's such, such many similarities between you know my culture and your culture because we love rice yeah. as well maybe we don't eat rice as much as you guys do but we do we do a lot yeah. of magic with rice and you yeah. will love the food and that's why for me eating asian food like korean food or even vietnamese food or thai food it was very easy for me to adapt quickly to that then you know pickles yeah. and american food because it felt like just a crossover from what i was used to growing up in nigeria so i don't think you're going to have pr- any problem in that department given that you love to go on food adventures go find a way to nigeria <laughs> asap
1: yeah <You laughs> Definitely, oh, I definitely want to you now. Yeah, it's, I, that's really great I'm really curious to try the food just because, like, we both do have a more adventurous, I guess, like food palette yes. than American just because like I'm not scared
0: to try anything crazy I am too I can I try everything <laughs> twice you know first time for the novelty and then second time like, to see if I like okay. it but I can try anything <laughs> same same what kind of nearing the end of the podcast and I just wanted to ask you this I'm very curious so, I know you do love learning new stuff and I like that you're very um on, you think on your feet even if you don't have certain skills that your clients need mm-hmm. you like you know get up. because I remember when you had to help me do like a mailchimp, was it something like for my okay. mailing for, for the website you're like I don't know how to do this but but give me some minutes. I'm going to get back with you now. And then bam, you did that. So I, I really like that about you. What do you think the future is going to be like for you? Like what are your next steps?
1: Oh man. So I think I've always told people that I want to do graphic design. And I think now I do want to focus on web design and I want to kind of just really be confident in web designing and text hierarchy. And then maybe in the future kind of just be able to design and code a website as well. So kind of like the full package of everything. Um, I just want to be really good at what I do. Because right now, I think I'm just kind of like learning a little bit here, learning a little bit there. I'm kind of just exploring exactly what I do want to do um, just because now I have more time and more freedom to do it now that I'm out of school. Yeah. Um, so now I think my main goal in the future is just to really solidify my passion for design and really be confident in what I do and confident in my career path. And I think I still do have a long way to go just because I just feel so new still to this whole thing. Yeah. I think I want to be really strong in my field I do want to be more passionate more strong and like more influential in my work as well and you know to change the world through design you know, I do want to make an impact somehow and I do want to accomplish that in the future
0: oh, one thing I know is that well, from working with you I know whatever your hands want to do you're going to do them all and I wish you the very best in all of your ventures
1: thank you so much you're so sweet <laughs>
0: <laughs> well um, if you don't have any other questions for me this is the end of the podcast and I was just going to wrap it up are there any questions you have for me
1: perhaps no this is just this is so much fun. I was so nervous, but you made it so easy, and it was Aww. just so much fun being and you know talking about myself. <laughs> you made it really easy for me, and I love it.
0: Well, thank you so much. You know, thanks for sharing the story. And it was your first yeah. podcast, right? It's your first time being on a podcast.
1: Yes, it's the first. Like first anything. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. You're oh, yes, natural. Yes, <laughs> Yeah, but, you know, I've, I've already told you this, but I love your podcast, and I love everything that it stands for, and I love how versatile you are as a person, and I think it's really great with what you're doing, and I will always support you
0: in this podcast. That not make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much, Teresa. And I, I, I'm, I'm glad and thankful that we met. Like, even though we haven't met in person per se, but I'm glad that you are. Yeah. My team. Thank you for all you've done with the podcast, especially with the with the um, website, because I didn't have time to put that together. You're like, you know, even when you walk to the timeline, and you're very pumped. You're very even up, up until like I think two o'clock one morning, we're still working on that on the website together. Thank you so much. I couldn't have you know put that together without you. And that's why I highly recommend you. And that's why I wanted to bring you on the podcast as well to talk about your story and you know your creativity and just so much you have the two offers in of the world and I'm going to tell more people your way <laughs> and oh,
1: thank you, know. you I will have a discount code for them if you
0: do <laughs> yeah so you guys um, I'm going to share Teresa's website that she shared with me go onto her website and email her whatever level of contact information she has there, contact her on that information and you know, get started from that and tell her you, you heard about her services from the Morseville podcast and she'll be sure to give you a discount. And on that note, it's been really nice talking to Teresa. We talked about growing up in America with a Vietnamese background. We talked about her switching majors and how she was able to convince her Asian parents to let her do advertising. Despite <laughs> her. Going to school as a biology student just have, um, to enter into ophthalmology school. We talked about cultural patients. We talked about just um, parental expectations how that has also helped our forge, you know, how niche in advertising. And we talked about creative processes, about food, about culture, and so many things. If you enjoy this content, please don't forget to email me and let me know, or leave a comment or two on the website. And if you are interested in being a part of this show as well, email me at talktomoandmossable.com. I would like to share your stories. Uh, Everyone has a story, I always say that. Everyone has a story. There's always a story, and there's always somebody that can connect with that story. We are all here struggling and thriving in different ways. It would be very nice for us to talk about our processes and how we get things done and this is one of the platform for that I love to talk to people I love to share stories and I love to find ways to connect to people and also help people connect with one another so um, this has been the Morsible Podcast and I remain your host Morsible. Well. catch you guys on another episode and thank you alright girl that was it <laughs> yes, that was fun <laughs> thank you very 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 much um